Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is a Sunday brunch edition. By all means, let me know what you're cooking as you listen to this show. I'm probably just drinking water because I'm not allowed to eat breakfast anymore. So I will live vicariously through you. And then at 11 a.m. when I am allowed to eat, I will hopefully reproduce and recreate something that you have done because that is what makes my life fun on Sunday mornings to know that you are listening and eating well and digesting all that you saw on Saturday of college football to help us, to help us be your stomach acid for college football, to get to get it digested. We bring in Bill Landis, our Ohio State beat writer. Bill, you uh, you just watched the Buckeyes beat Penn State in kind of a, I don't know, it was a blowout that didn't feel that way and the finals were going to look like look that way yeah it, it kind of it felt like it the whole time but but it didn't it didn't quite end up that way ohio state left some points on the board uh missed two field goals and i and i think at least one of those drives they probably should have tried to score a touchdown um they had some kicker issues in, in, in this game and then the defense got a little leaky in this in the second half but you know, Ohio State was in control the entire time. This this is the most that Ohio State has controlled Penn State probably since 2015. Um, so it was really impressive. It was just it's kind of a weird feeling where you know it's 38-25 and you feel like maybe it should have been like 45 to 20 or 45-17 or something like that. Well, the defense dominated Penn State in the first half. I mean, I think that was that was where you thought this could really go off the rails, and then it felt like Penn State got a little more under control didn't let Ohio State hit them on too many big plays and I guess got a, got the game a little more in hand, but it never really could get close again. No, Penn State in the second half offensively started doing some of the stuff that I figured they might try all game, which was just like RPO, quick game. They got some nice matchups with Jahan Dotson against Sean Wade of all people and, and against Seven Banks. And like that really worked for them, but it was almost, it was too little too late because even if Ohio State's offense wasn't finishing drives quite the way you'd like them to, um, they were kind of having their way for the most part. There were one or two drives where they didn't, but that was kind of in the first half. Um, Justin Fields was excellent. And, and it was just too little too late for, for Penn State's offense to try to play catch up at that point. So did Ryan Day come out in a, in a Darth Vader costume for his press conference like Dan Mullen did at, down at Florida? He did not. I was wondering if he might uh, come out in, in a costume, but no, he, he kind of disappointed me a little bit there. It was interesting. This was a day of decisive wins by teams that we weren't sure if they were going to be able to do that, that, that you know, kind of felt like a step forward because Ohio State's win, however you want to couch it, they did go into State College and really control that game. Uh, And then you had Texas A&M crushing Arkansas for a lot of the game. Arkansas came back and and got the backdoor cover, but Texas A&M won a decisive victory. And for a program that just didn't have a lot of those decisive victories over teams they should beat, that felt like a step forward. Florida against Missouri, you didn't know what Florida was going to be because you didn't know who was going to be out. Turns out they had several defensive starters out. They had another very important defensive starter, Zachary Carter, get ejected during that melee right at halftime. And they just wound up rolling over Missouri. So, you know, it felt like there were some programs that, that went into Saturday with a lot of questions about what they were. were how How good are we really? And have a little better idea after Saturday. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not sure that changes much in the, in the national picture, but I think for those individual programs, certainly it, it's it's nice to get sort of I don't know if validating wins is the right word, but something to make yourself feel good when when it's sort of been eluding you a little bit. Even teams that are like far from the the national radar, like like Michigan State beating Michigan the way it did was a huge deal for them. Oh, just in terms that of was huge. What what they're building there with 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 Mel Tucker, like it's not. I don't think it's anything that's going to matter six weeks from now, but to, to Michigan State right in this moment, that's huge. So, oh, and, and for Texas beating Oklahoma State, same thing. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. needed that. Yeah, they. I mean, yeah. <laughs> after the week that Texas has had, losing the recruits that they've lost, um, and, and it felt like it was getting away from Tom Herman a little bit there, so to come back and win that game the way they did – it puts them in an interesting position. I, I still, I, I'm not really optimistic that the Big 12 gets a team into the playoff, but we all know this could be a super weird year. So, you know, if you're sitting there at four and two overall and, and you've got some teams left on your schedule that are probably going to be ranked, you got a shot. Um, so, so Texas kind of kept things alive a little bit and, and really, you know, got some good vibes going after what was not a great week leading up to it. Well, let's talk about the, the big picture in the playoff picture because I, I do think it felt like there was more separation today than, than ever. And I guess we'll find out when Clemson plays Notre Dame next week where Notre Dame falls in that conversation. Uh, we do know that they're going to be playing DJ Uyunglele and not Trevor Lawrence because Dabo Sweeney said after Clemson came back and beat Boston College that Lawrence is not going to be playing against Notre Dame. But it, it definitely feels to me, Bill, like there's, there's three teams. There's Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson that look like playoff teams I don't know that there's a fourth right now. <laughs> I really don't because I, I don't know what I don't know. What Notre Dame is we're going to find out next week. Georgia, we saw them get beat by Alabama. If you watch that game against Kentucky today, it almost looked like they were trying not to show Florida anything, but I don't think that's really what they were doing. I just think offensively, uh, they they were pretty vanilla, and you know defensively they were good, but everybody's been good defensively against Kentucky so far. So I don't know what that means, and then. You know, maybe Texas A&M's the second best team in the SEC, but they got routed by Alabama. Uh, and then obviously Penn State, we thought might be the second best team in the Big Ten. We thought maybe Michigan, after what we saw against Minnesota, could be that kind of team. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Michigan loses yeah. to, to Michigan State. So it, it really does feel like there's those three teams and who, I mean, could Cincinnati be the fourth? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, since the way that Cincinnati put it on Memphis today was was pretty pretty impressive. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch that game, but I went back and looked at, looked at the box score and I saw the final score. And, you know, I thought Luke Fickle was going to turn Cincinnati into that. I'm, I'm not so sure. I thought it'd be this quickly and maybe this is a weird year and, and they're in the top 10 right now. Um but if there was ever a year where a group of five teams going to get in, right? This, I mean, this this would be it. If they're not going to expand it, I think Cincinnati has a legitimate shot. Because I, like, who who is the fourth team? I have no idea. I think I would have maybe, <laughs> yeah, you know, Coast, Coastal Carolina. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Coastal whipped up on Georgia State today. My <laughs> my man Sam Thompson, the five nine center, kicking butt again. But you're right. I mean, I don't. I don't know because we we've always assumed that if it was a second team from a league, it'd be the SEC or the Big Ten. But at this point, does anybody does anybody look deserving? Now, you know, here's the thing: if Texas A&M keeps winning, and let's say Florida wins against Georgia, and they wind up playing for the SEC title and losing to Alabama, A&M could say, "Hey, look, we beat the SEC East champs. The only team we didn't beat was Alabama, and that's your mm -hmm. number one seed." So, I mean, maybe, but that, there's a lot to go between now and then, and and a lot of weirdness because, you know, I thought Michigan State, Michigan was a great example of. 
you can't really predict anything week to week. Michigan State lost to Rutgers last week. Yep. They turned the ball over seven times. They lost five fumbles. They look like a completely different group of people on Saturday. Auburn has looked horrific at times this season. They destroyed LSU. Yeah. Destroyed them. So I don't know that week to week really tells us much of anything anyway. No, I uh, I was watching uh, the Maryland Minnesota game on Friday night, and the entire time yes, I kept thinking to I myself, like, man, what's what's Michigan? Like, if Maryland is doing this to Minnesota, I I think we're off on Michigan. And then of course, Michigan I, State I texted comes out Ari and, Wasserman during the game. I said, I said we may have messed this up <laughs> badly. <laughs> yeah, and I do think you know Michigan has some nice stuff going for it on offense. I think, but but that defense is a problem. They, they don't they don't have any speed on defense. They got some decent speed on offense, but you know if Michigan State guys are kind of running away from you a little bit, you got a problem on that side of the ball. And and when the end of the year you're you're hurdled to do anything postseason wise is Ohio State, which has speed all over the place. You know I don't I have this feeling like that might be a game at the end of the year, like we always do. When Michigan flashes a little bit in, in in September or Week One, whenever that happens, the fall. Um, and I'm not feeling that way now after seeing Ohio State tonight in Michigan earlier today. Yeah, that's it, it's gonna it's gonna be the same. And and the thing is, if you build your defense around having great corners that can play man coverage shouldn't you recruit great corners who can play man coverage? <laughs> yeah, you'd think so. Shouldn't that be the, so, yeah. the single top priority of what you do defensively yeah. in your recruiting process? And that's that seems to be the, the problem for Michigan right now. And I, I guess they're going to have to make adjustments. I mean, and LSU, I don't know what they're going to do at all. I mean, do you fire Bo Pelini midseason? It, it seems like at this point, you're probably not bringing him back. But they just... Yeah. I mean, because they made Auburn's offense look like Alabama's offense. And it hasn't looked like that at any point this season. Right. Yeah, it was funny. After the game, I caught, I caught Bo Nix, and I asked him about the, the long touchdown he hit to Anthony Schwartz at the end of the game. And Bo Nix was like, yeah, we usually don't do stuff like that. And I was like, well, LSU let, yeah, allows you to do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Because yeah. you don't have the time to do it. And, yeah, you can't time it up right. But, but against LSU, you can. I, I don't know what they do. I guess at this point, you just ride it out. But also at a certain point, there's a lot of season left. You know, you can't can't let it keep getting away from you like this. You might have to make an in-season change. We'll be right back after these words. Let's let's go back to about 1.45 Eastern time on Saturday when when the college football world thought, "Uh uh-oh, there may be an earth-shattering upset. When Boston College is up on Clemson, they're up as many as 18 points. And then Clemson comes roaring back. But this was a, a case where I think if DJ Uyel Ungalale finds out on Monday that he's starting instead of before, or I guess after practice on Wednesday. They had already practiced on Wednesday when he found out. So basically, Bill, you know how, how practice weeks work for college teams. Thursday mm-hmm. is essentially a kind of a run-through and Friday is more of a walk-through. But yep. The hay's in the barn by the end of Wednesday night. And so I think, you know, you look at the worst play Clemson had, and it was they're on the goal line. DJ Ungalale tries to hand off to Travis Etienne. Uh, DJ was under center. It was more of a traditional kind of, you know, what you'd see in the NFL 10 years ago handoff play. And this is a guy he never hands off to in practice because he's not a starter, and they mess it up. They, they just they didn't have their timing right. They mess it up. It's a fumble. BC takes it the other way. And all of a sudden, Clemson is in serious, serious trouble. 
But I have a feeling if he goes the whole week and practices the starter, he looks pretty good against Notre Dame. I mean, he, he, he did throw for 342 yards and two TDs today. I thought he looked really comfortable for giving what you just said about the timing of, of this week. And, and I guess that's not surprising because we all knew kind of how talented he was coming coming out of high school. But, you know, the first half and I'm on the Ohio State beat. So everyone on the Ohio State beat's like, oh, look at Jeff Halfley and those guys like giving it to Clemson. And, and it was a good effort from from Boston College for sure. But I think right right around the end of the second quarter, you could feel it turning a little bit. And then Clemson comes out right away and scores and then. They flip the game in their favor and it's over because Boston College just can't keep up. So, so the result's not surprising, but I did feel probably about the time where where Uwe Angelale scores that rushing touchdown at the beginning of the third I, quarter. That's, like, yeah, that's when I was like, okay, Clemson's winning this game. Yeah, he, and not, and not like only that, but he was to run. Yeah, yeah, they were, I, I, and I guess I get that, but I, I felt like he too became almost totally comfortable in that moment, and then I thought to myself like. I don't really care what the spread is against Notre Dame next week. I think Clemson's going to cover it because I just think this kid's ready for that kind of spotlight. It's interesting, Bill, because you're used to seeing this with Justin Fields. You get to see an elite quarterback all the time. Trevor Lawrence, obviously, is an elite quarterback, the, the probably the most elite quarterback in college football this year. But there aren't many people who can make the kind of throws that Trevor Lawrence can make. And DJ might be one of those people mm-hmm. like it's it's crazy when you see the ball come out of his hand you're just like this is different there are not many guys in the whole country that can do what he does and Clemson's got two of them yeah I saw uh the quote from Dabo that they said during the game that that there were times during the week or during camp where DJ made Trevor look normal um and if you're doing that that that's a hell of a compliment you can give to any player it is different um it really pops out of his hand and he's gigantic to begin with. It's almost like people, people were freaking out about Joe Milton a little bit and the way the ball came out of his hand, the ball comes out of DJ's hand just, just as powerfully, if not more, but, but he's a little more refined, I think as a passer too. He's got the touch and and the ball placement that that makes him something special. So if he's, they don't have to ride him the rest of the year, but even if they did, I don't know how much different I'd feel about Clemson's chances of winning a national title. Well, so here's, here's the thing. So what if they hadn't come back? What if, what if they lost today? We would be saying the ACC's out of it, you know, unless Notre Dame can win out. Clemson's done. But the truth of the matter is, if, if Clemson had lost to Boston College, Clemson wouldn't be done. Yeah. They would have a chance to, to make the playoff still. Alabama may lose. They would still have a chance to make the playoff. Ohio State, I don't think they're going to lose, but maybe they could. It, there's going to be at least... One one loss team in the playoff. I think this may be the year a two loss team gets in because there's yep. still a lot of beating up on one another to be done in these mostly conference schedules. There is. I, I I was actually at the point already, and it sounds kind of crazy because Ohio State had only played one game before tonight. But but I already felt like Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State had a mulligan if they needed it. Um, if any one of those teams lost one game, they were still going to get in. And that fourth team, like we said earlier, is so wide open that. It, I, I think it's actually pretty likely that a two-loss team ends up in that spot. And, unless Cincinnati is going to win out and they'll finally put a group of five team in, I think it's more likely that a two-loss power five team ends up in that fourth spot. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, really the contenders are dropping like flies because the thought is, you know, o- Oklahoma State loses today to Texas. Maybe they're going to lose again. I, I would think, you know, going into Bedlam, you think, Oklahoma usually wins that game. So that could be a second loss for Oklahoma State. Then Oklahoma's got two losses. Uh, Kansas State got loss number two today at Vegas. 
spotted that one early. <laughs> West Virginia was favored going into that game, even though Kansas State was ranked. By the way, hell of a job by Neil Brown at West Virginia because the roster he took over after Dana Holgerson left, and this is not on Holgerson. He had a really good team in his last year at West Virginia. He knew it was going to be a case of these really special guys leaving and that it was going to be tough the next year. So it's understandable that he went to Houston when he did. But Neil Brown took that bunch, won five games with them last year. They've already won four. They're going to go to a nice bowl this year. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I am amazed at what he's done. And if there was a bigger coaching carousel, I'd say there's probably a chance some folks coming after him, but I, I just don't know how much action there's going to be this year. Yeah, they got a, a chance to play. I, I don't even know if you want to call them spoiler because they do have four wins already, but they finished with Texas, uh, TCU, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. Like they can, they can really blow up the Big 12 standings and the Big 12 playoff picture, whatever chance might be left if they wanted to do that. But I, but I agree with you. Uh, I like Neil Brown when, he, when they, when they hired him in the first place. Um, but, but this is happening a little, a little quicker maybe than I anticipated it happening. Yeah, it, it is very fast. By the way, Bill, we, we've not pointed this out yet, but this is a historic moment in the Big Ten. We, we do, we should, we're going to pause and just commemorate <laughs> the history that is being made in the Big Ten. This is the first time in Big Ten history that Purdue, Northwestern, and Indiana have all been 2-0 and in Big Ten play. And... I'm telling you, Phil Steele called it when he was on the show over the summer before the Big Ten even postponed. He's like, Northwestern's <laughs> going to be your comeback team of the year because they can't possibly be any worse on offense than they were last year. And then Indiana, I'm telling you, just just watch. They, they got Michigan next week. <laughs> it it yeah. could be interesting. I was uh I'm I'm happy I'm happy that we're that we're living in this historic moment and and good for Indiana for for winning at Rutgers today but I'm going to be perfectly honest I was hoping that Rutgers would pull out that game and we could look at the Big Ten East standings on Saturday night and see Ohio State and Rutgers there at two and zero playing each other next week by the way in a big night game on Big Ten Network in Columbus the Big Ten East championship <laughs> game from Columbus <laughs> with the Scarlet Knights it would have been tremendous but no. Uh, you may have to wait for uh, for Ohio State, Indiana for your de facto Big that's Ten right. East championship game. That's three weeks from now. Three weeks from now. It's, it, it, is, it is a little bit of a cats and dogs living together situation, Bill. It, <laughs> it, it feels very and, – and I think this is the first week I've noticed that it feels weird. Like it felt weird because not everybody was playing before. Now it feels like this is a, not a normal season, obviously, but – close to normal as you're going to get because everybody's playing, but it feels like now we're getting the wackier results that we thought we were going to be getting this, this season because of people being out or, or just the up and down nature of playing in this weird time. But I think that the two games this week that really just sort of drove that home were Michigan, Michigan state and Auburn LSU. Cause mm -hmm. it's just, in any other year, it does not work like that. Like Michigan, even if Michigan State plays a good game with the with the team they have, with the roster they have, Michigan probably wins it in a very boring fashion, but and it's close. And LSU and Auburn play a much closer game, and Auburn may win it, but it's not like that. But that the, those two both were like, okay, this is going to be odd the rest of the way. 
Yeah, the, with the LSU thing, I almost wonder a little bit. It's like once you kind of know you're out of it, if, if your aspirations are to get to the playoff and win the national championship, and once you know you're out of it, is it is it harder this year to motivate? And this is a step beyond that, the way they got waxed by Auburn on Saturday. But I wonder that with teams in LSU's position, I wonder that with a lot of the teams in the Big Ten. And I actually thought Michigan State, once they lost last week, the way they lost to Rutgers, they might just come out and kind of lay down because – who wants to go through eight more weeks of that after you come out and lose your opener under a new coach when, when maybe you weren't super psyched about playing in the first place. So credit to them for turning that around. Um, I think Michigan's a little different. Uh, I, I do think that, that under Jim Harbaugh, that program's had a, a little bit of a, of a penchant for once something, once one good thing happens, uh, they lose focus a little bit. And, and I think that happened with them against Michigan state on, on Saturday. And, and I don't know what that comes back to, but sustaining good things under Jim Harbaugh has been pretty difficult and it happened to them again on Saturday. So interesting that you mentioned that bill, because that brings up an interesting question about Penn state, Penn state's Owen to, I think it's safe to say their big 10 title chances are, are gone. Yep. But if you look at the rest of their schedule, they could easily finish six and two. There's no reason that team can't finish six and two. So, you know, how, if you're James Franklin, how do you, how do you get them back up? this week to make sure that they play to the level they're capable of, because as long as they do, this could still be a good season for them. Yeah. I I think maybe you play on the general weirdness of this year. I think you're right. They're, they're out of assuming everyone finishes the games are supposed to finish Penn state's out of getting back, getting to Indianapolis, but it's certainly possible that Ohio State doesn't finish all its games this year. Um, it's it's possible that other teams in the Big Ten East don't. So if you can say to your guys like, "Listen, we have we have a pretty decent opportunity in front of us here to finish six and two, to at the very least get to that second place Big Ten game on on championship weekend," and we just got done talking about how there's there could be a two loss team in the playoff. Now I don't know the Big Ten probably doesn't have good enough teams for for a second team in the conference to get there unless that team had one loss, like maybe Wisconsin out of the West or something if they we're in a different situation, but I do think you could get to a uh, new year six bowl game still. And, and I think that's something to strive towards. So I, I don't know. Penn state shouldn't have had playoff aspirations coming into this year once they lost Micah Parsons. So, so I, I hope the air is not totally out of bloom, but, but it is going to be tough sledding moving forward now that you've sort of lost the, the marquee game on your schedule. And now that you mentioned that Wisconsin, what do you think happens early next week. Barry Alvarez went on on game day on Saturday and said they'll decide by Tuesday whether they're going to play this week against Purdue or not. Do you think they wind up playing that game? I have a hard time seeing it. Um, Paul Christ, I think, can't even come back until until a Thursday before that game, and, and it's easy for him, obviously, to make that transition. But I don't even know. They're up to 13 player positives. Um, that, to me, is, is already it's not happening, unless they're adding more players to their roster to bring that percentage down under the Big Ten thresholds. Um, that the Big Ten made a made a very narrow window here to to get games played when you have uh, even a, a handful of positives on your team, and I just don't see how Wisconsin can be in a position to play next week. Yeah, all those folks in Nebraska got free runs based on that that Twitter poll question about you know do you think Nebraska would have shut down for this, but the fact of the matter is the Big Ten would have stepped in before the game could have been played because right. Wisconsin hit that threshold, and that that's got to be weird. All the Big Ten. And you you deal with the Ohio State people, so they're they're dealing with this in real time. Do the folks in the Big Ten feel like they're just kind of walking the razor's edge with COVID? Yeah. Because it the Wisconsin thing could happen to any team. 
It really could. No, I think I think they're they're terrified of it. To be to be quite honest, now it's not, you know, it's not life and it's it's not the most serious thing in the world. I guess if you can't play a football game, but it is. It's a it's a very narrow uh, margin for error when you're operating this way, and it's even it's possible with the testing they're doing that they could have a false negative test. And, and then you, you accidentally put a guy who's positive within your, your population and it spreads that way. And like you, in theory, you didn't do anything wrong. You were just going by what the protocols were. So it's tricky. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have much faith that the big 10 might reverse course with their, their protocols in place, similar to how they reverse course with their overall decision to play the season. But if they don't, um, this won't be the last time this happens. It's going to be really hard for, for everyone else who, who's not in the Wisconsin situation to, to still finish all, all nine of their games. Well, and that's the thing. You look at Florida's situation. They, they got back to playing on Saturday for the first time in three weeks. A, an outbreak like that, and the Wisconsin one is, is, pro, is not as serious as the Florida one in terms of numbers, but it's, it, it's close. Mm-hmm. It's two weeks. I mean, it, it it's going to be two weeks, and especially with the number of player positives. Remember, in the Big Ten, if you're a posi- if you if you are positive, you're out 21 days. In the other leagues, if you if you're a positive, you're in isolation for 10 days, and then you've got to you've got to pass some tests to be able to get back. But you're not guaranteed to be out three weeks like you are in the Big Ten. So, yeah, and if you look at Florida's situation, it took the SEC having a week to park games, which is what they did with the Florida LSU game, and then reshuffling the schedule for four different teams to make sure that this all went off. So they, they rescheduled games involving Florida, Missouri, Kentucky, and Georgia to, to make this all happen. So I don't know. It, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what the big 10 does. And you know, the threshold to make the big 10 title games, you got to play six games, right? How many it's, Big Ten teams do yeah. you think play six games in the regular season? Ooh, um, I would say maybe like ten of the fourteen, maybe. I think it's possible. I think you could have some bad luck based on who you've got scheduled. You know, yeah, if, if you right, got right, like it's not Nebraska didn't didn't choose this. Purdue didn't choose what's going to happen next week if if Wisconsin can't play, but. Also, if you happen to be on the unlucky end when another team has an outbreak and, and your game gets canceled, then all of a sudden you're in that boat too. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a strange year and already has been. But hey, Bill, get the Pac-12 back next week. That's I Gangs forgot all about together. that. Yeah, that they showed it during the Ohio State Penn State broadcast. It's like November seventh, Pac-12 back. It's like oh yeah, I forgot they haven't been part of this yet. So that'll be are, fun. Are you are you ready? Now it won't mean much to you because it's going to feel like noon to you, but are you ready for a nine a.m. Pacific kickoff in the Pac-12? I love it. I'm I'm getting uh, in, my, in my older age now. I can't stay up till two o'clock in the morning watching these football games. So I'll take I'll take any noon kick I can get. Oh, I'm I'm all for it too. That's it. it it's interesting. You know, I I've missed Pac-12 after dark, but I'm thinking about doing this show next week, and <laughs> you know. If, if the game's good, it's it's Washington Cal. Now Washington Cal last last year ended about four thirty Eastern time because they had that. I think, yeah. a lightning delay, <laughs> and I think they went to overtime. I know it was very very tight. So 
I don't know that we're going to have to, that we're going to wait to record this one until after <laughs> Pac-12 after dark. But I do know we will get the Arizona State-USC game in because that sucker is at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. local time in the That's Coliseum. Great. Think about if you lived on the West Coast wait, and, you know, you wake up at a, at a reasonable time, 8, 8.30 in the morning, and then, you know, before you finish your first cup of coffee, there's a football game kicking off. That's awesome. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, that's what that's what they get every week when they watch college football from the East Coast. So yeah. they're they're used to watching college football at nine a.m. They're not used to the game being local, a local team. But yeah, they're not allowed to go to the game anyway. So what does it matter to them? <laughs> right, right. So all right, kegs and eggs out west next week. <laughs> More crazy results in the Big Ten. DJ Ui Ungalale starting in South Bend. And Florida, Georgia, and Jacksonville in what looks like the de facto SEC East Championship game. It's going to be so much fun. Bill Landis, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Andy. Enjoyed it. When we come back, we'll be joined by our Michigan State beat writer, Colton Pouncey, to talk about the Spartans' win at Michigan on Saturday. Joined now by our Michigan State beat writer, Colton Pouncey, and a huge Huge win for the Spartans in Ann Arbor, 27-24, five years after the trouble with the snap game. This was not fluky at all, though, Colton. There, there was nothing fluky. And it was interesting because everybody's talking about you had the, the snap game, you had the monsoon game. What what do you call this game? Because it, it just looked like Michigan State just beat Michigan. Yeah, these were two teams that lined up to play football um, going into this one. One looked like it was in a much more established position. That would be Michigan. Um, the other team, the one that I cover, Michigan State, you know, they're kind of going through a rebuild here. And, it, it, you know, Mel Tucker talked about this being a process. It's going to take time to get things going. But, yeah, there were no fluky situations in this one. This was just two teams lining up to play football, and, and Michigan State came out on top. How much of this was us reading too much into week one of a really weird season? Because Michigan State did lose to Rutgers. Yeah. But they also had seven turnovers, including five lost fumbles. You could try to lose five fumbles in a game 10 times, and you probably can't do it more than once. I mean, so that that's the thing I was curious about. And then you've got Michigan had a great game against Minnesota, and we were looking at Minnesota based on last year's Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We had a chance to see Minnesota again on Friday night, losing to Maryland, and all of a sudden it's like, hmm, I don't know if that Michigan offense was, was as good as we thought. But how did the, the Michigan State players overcome – the loss last week, the sloppiness last week, and there was none of that this week. Right. Um, I will say I, I think there is a bit of overreaction week one, and it, it's understandable. I mean, that's all we have to go off of right now with these teams, and it's a little different from a regular season when you have some FBS games, you know, some group of five teams to play to start. Like, now we're in conference play, so you can kind of kind of have to get going right away with that. But um, I will say that Rutgers game kind of broke my brain a little bit. <laughs> Um, it was crazy. It really it's was. One of those things, a statistical anomaly. It, yeah. You don't, and, and Michigan State got dominated, right, because of the turnovers. But if you watch the game, it didn't. It still felt like they had a chance there as yeah. the game went on. Yeah, it was a lot closer, I think, than the score. You know, an eleven point deficit would, would kind of indicate there. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, you never want to lose to Rutgers. I mean, that was the first. Mark D'Antonio never lost to Rutgers when he was at Michigan State. That was Mel Tucker's first game. So I think. There's a little bit of comparing and contrasting going on in week one. Um, but Michigan State really emphasized ball control this week. Um, obviously, whenever you have seven turnovers, I think the last time that happened was 
1981. So it was a fluke, but uh, they really, they really did preach ball security. Every team video that came out this week, every photo that was posted was had something to do with ball control. So I, I think that they really emphasized it really hit that home um, this week in practice and it showed on the field. They had zero turnovers in this game. The offense was still able to move the ball. They took advantage of scoring opportunities and, you know, it looked like a completely different team than the one we saw in week one. Well, you embedded a, a, a mic'd up with Mel Tucker practice clip in your game story. And I thought it was interesting because the first thing they show <laughs> is he's got the, the running back drills and their individual drills and he's telling them, lock it up, lock it up. And <laughs> yeah. you're exactly right. But the other piece of it is, you know, there are a lot of young players on this Michigan State team, and it's no secret that Mar- Mark D'Antonio did not leave the cupboard completely full. And Mel Tucker entered a really weird situation where he was hired after signing day, essentially, and didn't get a chance to, to even bring in his own freshman. So now he's he's got to figure out these guys. He had no spring practice with them. And I think that probably had something to do with with the big turnaround from week one to week two as well, just getting to know these guys. But Ricky White, freshman receiver from Georgia, had a massive game. Massive. And did you know this was coming? Did they say in the preseason, hey, watch out for – I guess we're calling him Slick Rick now. Yeah. I, think, I think that nickname has to stick. I love that nickname so much. Um, <laughs> you know, I they, there wasn't a ton of talk about Ricky White, but I actually wonder how much of that was intentional. Like, let's keep this guy a secret because we don't want him to get out there, you know. Um, he was one of their top recruits in the 2020 class. You know, he's from Georgia. He's got a ton of speed, which Michigan State receivers kind of lacked over the year. So I thought that he was, there's a chance he could see the field relatively early in his career. It took an injury to uh, starting receiver Trey Mosley for that to happen. Um, and he had a leg injury, I believe, in last week's game and didn't play today. So Ricky White got the start. And, oh, my God, he made the most of that opportunity. 196 yards on eight catches. I think that's it's by far the most by a freshman receiver at Michigan state and it's seventh most in a single game in program history. So like what a way to have your first career start, honestly. <laughs> now I, I feel like I'm talking to one of our Ohio state beat writers now, because we're going to go into the Don Brown likes to play man. And sometimes people take <laughs> advantage of that portion yeah. of the conversation. And that's exactly what happened on the outside, Michigan leaving corners on islands and Michigan state taking deep shots with Rocky Lombardi and he throws a pretty deep ball. I mean, he's one of those that, that it's an interesting one because he's he's very athletic. And, and when he would come in before, you'd think, okay, this is more of a wildcat type situation. But he can he can chuck it down the field, and when he's on, you can you can really make some hay. Yeah, the thing with Rocky, you know, obviously he got his first really ta- first real taste of action in 2018, filling in for an injured Brian Lewerke. He was a retro freshman back back then. He sort of came in, was kind of out of control um, with his deep ball. He didn't really have the accuracy, but, you know, this is a dude who's super athletic. You know, he was a state runner-up in Iowa for wrestling, so you know that he's he's got the body, 6'3". Like, he has all the things that you want in a, in a quarterback except for – you know, uh, you want to see him place the ball in a better spot and his touch had to be better from where it was in 2018. And the progress that he's made from then to now has really been phenomenal. Um, he's worked really hard, has a private quarterback coach in Arizona, worked on ball placement and touch and things like that. Um, and it showed up so far in two games. You know, I think in the in week one, you want to see a few more shots. I thought he had a pretty solid start. Week two, they were just going after those Michigan DBs, like whenever they could. Even if they weren't connecting on some plays, they're still drawing penalties because they were just out of position all game. So I think that was part of the game plan. Mel Tucker kind of talked about that, um, talked about how well Ricky White looked in practice, their connection between him and Rocky. So 
they weren't surprised by anything that happened on the field today. It, it's interesting because there's a lot of teams that if they play man, they're going to be able to do that too. And yeah. so it, it does kind of bode well for the future. But if the other thing that bodes well for the future is just the way this defense played. I mean, Mel Tucker is a defensive guy. That's his side of the ball. There were times against Rutgers where it looked like Rutgers was was just blowing holes open and, mm-hmm. and Michigan State was not getting fitted up against the run. That was not an issue at all on Saturday. No, it wasn't. Um, I think back to that Rutgers game and I think the opening drive, uh, linebacker Noah Harvey was just completely back against back against the run that, you know, running back ran in free for a touchdown. That was an example of guys kind of playing slow. And obviously Michigan state, mm-hmm. they were four, three defense under Mark Antonio for so many years. Scotty Hazleton comes in from Kansas state. They deployed a four, two, five, and there were going to be some changes. It was going to be an adjustment to kind of get those guys up to speed. Some coaches talked about playing slow at first, but hopefully they start, you start to start to see them, you know, work in what they've learned, play with confidence, play fast. And I think we saw that in week two. I don't, I didn't think it was going to come this early, especially against a team like Michigan with some weapons, but that the, again, the improvement from week one to week two was so drastic. So I know what Mel Tucker is preaching because I, uh, I helped write the book on yes. what Mel Tucker is preaching. I, I wrote a book with a guy named Trevor Moat, who is the mental coach that, that works with, with Mel Tucker and the Spartans. And, and so they are talking about staying neutral. They are talking about, you know, the, the self-talk that, you know, you can't say negative things out loud, uh, but you also being super positive doesn't necessarily help you all that much either. You just have to stay even keel. And when, when you're going to Iowa next week after a big win like this, how, how important is it to just stay neutral and not let this affect you? Because they obviously did a pretty good job of not letting the Rutgers game affect them negatively how do they make sure this doesn't affect them negatively because we're going to be praising them for an entire week now right you know mel's been talking about that pretty much since the day he arrived just neutral thinking and not getting too high in one particular moment not getting too low um and we really saw that value of that after week one um he sort of preached that like guys this is the process you got to understand like it's going to take time we'll get our guys ready to play and it sounds, I don't know if the fans really like that. Maybe they want to see a little bit more fire after a loss like that against Rutgers, but inside the building behind closed doors, like that message really resonated with the players. They kind of talked about that um, after this game and going forward, it's the same deal. You know, you can't say, Oh, we beat Michigan. So we're just going to take the rest of our schedule off. You know, you got to come right back against Iowa with that same mentality ready to go. Cause that's going to be a tough game for them as well. But so far, so good. So I, I feel like they probably don't, like the fire of the message, but they do like Paul Bunyan sitting in the, the seat of honor on yeah, the, the Michigan state team bus or wearing, wearing a Michigan state helmet in the locker room. I, yeah. How much fun were those guys having just, you know, being on the, for them, the right side of the rivalry for, for once in a little while. Yeah. You know, it, it had been a couple of years since they got to uh, take some photos with, with Paul over there. Um, I, they had a great time. I mean, I think after the game, like you would normally see them kind of celebrate, sing the fight song or whatever, do do whatever they do. They went right back to the locker room after this one. Um, they had a little dance circle that Mel Tucker got in the middle of. Rocky and Barbie's talking about that. Um, everyone took their photos with them inside, but they needed that one. That was such a, a huge one, especially after last year, you know, that 44-10 loss in Mark Antonio's final year as head coach. That sort of seemed like it was going to signal a change in this rivalry, whereas before it was like you never know what you're going to get. It could go either way. It definitely seemed after that game that, okay, Michigan can pull ahead and win this game for a couple of years while Mel Tucker gets it going. So to come out here after last week's, you know, huge loss against Rutgers and have that kind of effort 
and get to celebrate with Paul. And they had a picture of Mel Tucker on the bus posing next to it. That's going to be great for recruiting. You know, um, it was huge for this program. Like it, you, that can't be understated. It was huge. How big was it for Mel Tucker himself? Because we, we talked about how weird the situation was. That is, it was not a normal coaching change. A normal coaching change is if you have a, reti- a coach retiring or you're changing, or you're firing your coach that happens after the regular season. It doesn't happen when it happened with Mark D'Antonio. So this was a, an incredibly weird situation. He took a lot of heat for leaving Colorado when he did. And then he gets no spring practice. He's, you know, he, the next recruit he signs at Michigan state will be the first. And now he starts with a loss to Rutgers, but now he has a win that he can say, look, what I'm doing works. How, how much does that help inside the locker room and maybe on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. Um, I tried to stress what a weird offseason this was to our readers and whoever else, you know, subscribed and everything like that. Because um, it, it's not normal. Like, and I know. Right. And he's of, not a normal first year coach. No. This isn't like the other first year coaches. It's a different situation. Right. So coming in February, didn't hire his full staff until March. You know, no spring ball. Everything you mentioned, like that was working against him. And I think. I guess you could say, oh, well, Greg Schiano had a similar situation. Greg Schiano got there much earlier than Mel. He had a much, much earlier opportunity to evaluate his roster, go over film, do all the things you need to do to get your team ready to play, even if it is Rutgers. So I think this was a huge win. Honestly, I think the narrative after that first game was how many how many games can we win on the schedule going forward? Um, so to come back in week two with a huge win over Michigan, get an upset, number 13 team in the country. I mean, this is huge for Mel and the rest of his, his program. Well, Colton, it's going to be a, a fun week to cover the, the Spartans, and we'll see how neutral they can stay when they go to Iowa City next week. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. <laughs> That's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to The Athletic, and if you do it right now, you can get it for $1 per month for your first six months. Just go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. That's theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. And also, remember to subscribe, rate, review this podcast It's free to download, and if you subscribe to The Athletic, which, remember, only a dollar a month for your first six months, you can listen to it commercial-free. We got a big week coming up next week. We'll be back on Wednesday. We have a lot to go over. You got Notre Dame and Clemson. No Trevor Lawrence. You got Florida and Georgia and Jacksonville. You got the return of the Pac-12. It is going to be a massive week in college football. Cannot wait to talk about it. I'll talk to you on Wednesday.